<laughs> so, um, as you can see, Paul is a really, really boring guy. Um, I made a, a fatal mistake around my 21st birthday. I was inviting Paul to my 21st birthday party. And Paul said to me, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, words to the effect of, Paul, give me something to remember you. <laughs> I really shouldn't have done that because as I'm opening up the presents... <laughs> I thought your parents to... did because you went away. No, no, no. no oh. They hung on to the oh. Oh. so it, it festered for a while. Oh. Um, but um, we, I got to the present opening, and there is this uh, street. Uh, don't, it, the, the can's very important. The can, yeah, the, no, the, the this, can. I know this is very important. I'm getting there. You got, yeah, I'm just going to make sure you get the can. Who's speaking, guys? You are. You got the mic. <laughs> so it is this chocolate tin of. Um, what were the... What were the St streets? Quality street. Quality, quality street, street lollies? You know, the chocolates. And it was all kind of sticky taped around and it didn't quite look like the manufacturer's original. Oh, what's this? Anyway, on the, on the top it had this thing that said, yeah, dear Tim, happy birthday. P.S. Watch out for the calories. Love, Daisy. <laughs> and, and Daisy, you're going to tell Daisy... Daisy is a cow. Daisy then said, please don't walk in front of me, I may not follow. Don't walk behind me, I may not lead. Be, be, stay beside me and be my friend. Love, Daisy. Yeah, and then I opened it up and there is a fresh cow <laughs> <laughs> Hey, how creative is that? I mean, this guy is Mr Creative, but I think I got one up on him on that occasion. That, I can honestly say, was the crappiest... <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, Paul and I go back away. Now, obviously, you carry on like this in Parliament, don't you? Uh, I, I'm really contained. <laughs> yes, he is, he is very, very contained in Parliament. Um, there are a number of other stories that, see, that kind of come from our friendship, that none of which can be told in the, uh, in the public setting. None of them involve lack of integrity or breaches of any kind of code of conduct, just no. for the sake of the record. That's it. The Holy Spirit, career. God's forgiven us. Oh, They're yeah, gone. Yeah. They're washed away. We're white as snow. Absolutely. Absolutely. We were just thinking about it, so we must be white as snow. We must be. So let's get into some, some, some serious stuff here, if you and I can actually manage to do that. Now, I, I had a quick listen back through the, the broadcast we did during the week. Did, did most of you get to listen to at least that little chit-chat we had during the week? Um, now, one of the things I, I... One of the questions I asked you was around, yeah, what is our role in of Christians yeah. in the whole political spectrum. And you either, either I'd like to think it was me that wasn't clear enough with the question because I don't think it was you giving the typical politician thing where someone asked a question and no matter what the question, you give the answer you want to give. That's right. That's good media training. That, that, that Just so you know that. That's what they teach you in media training. Yeah. So the question was, what is the role of us as Christians in this political system? You said obviously government is created by God um, in order to lead, administrate his people to provide essential services. But there are views from Christians should be nowhere near politics through to we need a Christian prime minister and a Christian premier and a Christian this and a Christian everything. Mm. For normal people like, at least like us, I don't know about you, but normal people, what is our role in this process and what happens if we disengage? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I want to reiterate, um, believers believe God created the earth. We agree with that. Okay, do we, create, uh, we agree that he created man and woman? Yeah. yeah. And family? Yeah. And the church? Yeah. And the way he wanted to uh, guide all that was by creating governance. 
And you remember with Moses having trouble? And, he, and Moses, uh, Jethro says to Moses, he's, and Moses goes, this, they're all crazy. What do I do? There's just too many of them to govern. And then Jethro says to him, he says, make leaders of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And God, you know, uh, God has used that method ever since, really, in, in terms of the tribes of people. There's leaders and stuff like that. Um, and then Romans 13, I think it is, in Romans 13, where God uh, says very clearly that he says, governance is here to bless you, pay your taxes, do right, and you won't be punished. And that's a good thing for you and for the community. So, you know, um, so if we're created by God, who else created governance if he didn't? It's not a good idea by man. It was made by God to govern his people, to, be, to make sure the church and community were able to get the infrastructure, you know, the, the roads, uh, which were pretty back, bad back then. We've got better roads now, better hospitals, better schools. But God's way of administrating love for his people was through governance. And it's very clear that he created governance as part of the cycle. So Daniel, Moses, uh, who else? Who else were administrators? Joseph. I mean, these guys were good administrators. And uh, I'll talk about Daniel in a little while when we do the human trafficking uh, stuff. But yeah, um, the best governors uh, are the ones that follow Jesus and listen to his voice because he actually has a few steps ahead of the game. Remember the famine? Okay, seven years of famine are coming. Plan for it. This is what you've got to do. A, B, C, D, and E, and F, G. And so he does it. What happens? His country that he represents uh, under God gets blessing. Even though it had hard times, it was blessed. Um, the second thing that's pretty important, so we establish that governance is from God. Do we agree with that? Yeah. So what are Christians doing in politics? Well, actually, it's what's politics doing in Christianity, really, is the question. And it's because God put it there to look after his people. Uh, second thing is, there's a wonderful saying uh, which is, uh, says, um, policy is made by those who turn up. So back in the 1900s, when the uh, federation was done, most of our federation, our constitution, was written by Christian men. Okay, That's not against the women. Let's face it, the women probably told the men what to write. <laughs> and it would have been better if there Is were that women true? involved, for sure. No, no, the women just made the guys think like they were doing it. And, uh, right. But it was really the women that did it, because really good women did it. But... Um, but no, what's really important is that virtually all those uh, men were uh, church-driven men. I'm not saying they're pure and they're you know excellent, but they were the, the things of God were in mind when they made the Constitution for Australia. And uh, a couple of things uh, that are misquoted during that is uh, the fact that church and state should be separate. It was never about that. It was because the Catholic Church and the Anglican Church were trying to get each other's ground and say, we're the dominant faith, we're the dominant faith. And then what actually happened? They said, no, in this clause in the Constitution, we're going to say there's no dominant faith, okay? You're not going to, we're not going to set you all up. Just We're not going to even say that you're uh, the faith for the state. So they didn't say the Church of England was the faith group and they didn't say the Catholic group was the... And that was the heart of it. Not that church and state should have mixed, okay? It was never about that. It was about there would never be a dominating... Uh, Christian faith that would be able to say we're in charge, yeah. okay? So <clears throat> should we be showing up in those kind of realms? Um, and, you know, you said policy is made by those who show up and, you know, you and I over coffee, I, I've heard you say in the past, you know, you're the one on the cold face, you know, fighting the fights, fighting the battle and sometimes you kind of feel like where is the church? Yeah. You know, if, if you could give us a challenge around showing up, what would it be? Well, I, th I think, you know, there's a, there's a, I think it was Hills once time, that someone, someone said something about, uh, you know, this guy in the circus 
and he's singing out to the crowd, who thinks I can go across the rope on the, uh, the tightrope with a little bike? And everyone's saying, yeah! And he's going, no, who really believes I can do this on the bike, go across the tightrope? He goes, yeah! He says, who really believes it? He says, yeah! And he says, okay, you come up with me. No! You know, and sometimes it's like that. Everyone thinks we should be there and we should be doing it, but sometimes we look behind us, there's no one there. Okay? And so we still take on the fights. And uh, it's, it's really sad. So what's happened since the 1900s is when we, you know, most people were church-attending politicians, okay? So the values are Christ- Judeo-Christian values in our constitution, which has set us in good stead. And most Western culture, West- Western civilization, is based on Judeo-Christian uh, values. Those values that were framed around from the Ten Commandments, which are really good laws, you know? We don't want to see people killing each other. Uh, we don't want to see everyone stealing, each, uh, uh, stealing from each other, never mind stealing or taking each other's wives or husbands. That's not good either. Don't covet, you know. So all those things, love God, keep the Sabbath holy, that's good for us. I mean, now in the 24-7 cycle, I mean, we don't get a rest even on Sunday. And that's not good for marriages, not good for families, not good for kids, is it? Really, when you see it, you've got to have a day of rest. So God didn't say that for fun. You could see that families need that time where they're going to come together at least one day a week, never mind to worship and have time with him. So from when it all happened in the Constitution, you've got all these people writing this, believing this, and then what's happened over time, it's diluted. So more people got elected that don't believe those things. And now we're at the other end of that where very few, well, not very few, but quite a few politicians no longer believe all that. And so now we've got lots of other views. So this is where we're up to is some people think we shouldn't be at the table of democracy. And democracy is a round table with all voices, okay? But they want to keep the Christian voice out, okay? And there's a reason for that, is that now more than ever, they don't want a Christian voice there for one particular reason, and that is the boundaries that God sets in our life, they want to break. And so they don't want scripture in schools, they don't want chaplaincy, because the rules that we uh, give ourselves under God are the ones that protect us, and we live them. But it's an inconvenient truth, because Jesus is 100% compassion, he's 100% merciful, okay, we all agree with that, don't we? But he's also, an inconvenient truth is, he's 100% just, and he can't have one little bit of sin, not just one. He can't, you know, um, if there was a a marriage, for instance, and, and the spouse said to the other spouse, hey, can I just have a person on the side just for 1% of our marriage it's not good is it it doesn't work and it's the same with God so <laughs> it's a really terrible illustration but I used to use myself as an example so, so at least I'm getting better at going it's not me <laughs> and it's not my wife but the example's true okay and that is God cannot be tainted by sin so the inconvenient truth is he's 100% just and those people that have sin he has to judge okay uh, Jesus he said, I, when I come to the earth, I didn't come to judge, I come to save. Okay, so we must understand that's, that's what he did. Okay, so let, let's dive into a couple of issues. Now, we've seen in the last month or two the state of New York over in the US pass some pretty horrific laws mm. around late-term abortion, yeah. which, you know, for all of us, we just think that that's an absolutely horrific set of laws. How close are we to something like that here in New South Wales? Uh, look, uh, we, we, we became very close. And look, uh, I want you to know, I don't... And you, when you see my video, you'll see, I, I don't have a grudge against any party, OK? 
I, I love people. God loves people. And God's heart is that he wishes none shall perish, but all should come to eternal life. And that's my heart too, okay? So when I say the next comment, I'm not trying to pick on any party, but the Greens did introduce a bill into uh, Parliament that would force doctors to have to uh, um, present, themselves, uh, present their patient for an opportunity for an abortion. Uh, they also want to move the buffer zone, from, uh, make a buffer zone from the healthcare clinic where a lot of Christians go and pray and offer young ladies opportunities to walk away and get some help. Uh, I heard in one clinic, there's, there's one uh, section where they've seen over 300 babies um, go on to live and be born. 300. Now, that's going to be nearly impossible because the new laws state that Christians have to be 150 metres away from those doors. Uh, that's where they get their prayer line will be now. And that's passed. That was the Liberal National... Sorry, that was the National Labor and Greens Party that got that up. OK, so that's really disappointing because we thought Nationals used to be on our side on these things. Um, but I'm only informing you, OK? I'm not trying to pull anyone down any party. Every party has its faults and uh, good points and faults. But the Green Party uh, had that and they had the final thing was late-term abortion, which virtually up to 39 weeks. Now, the... This is crazy, and look, I'm just aware there's kids and stuff here, but can you imagine? I mean, but, but can I just say this, to twist it a little bit? While that's quite unacceptable, the other side of things is they also introduced the Nationals, <coughs> introduced euthanasia bill, which we only won by one vote. So not, if you look at lifespan, they're just saying, we can kill you while you're alive and we can kill you while you're in the womb. I'm not trying to be gross there, okay, because I'm a nurse and I know there's a lot of women that have a lot of tough times and they have to work through this, okay, so I'm not trying to uh, try to be mean in any way. I'm just trying to bring you along what's in our world in politics and that we have to address and vote on and try and convince other members not to vote for. And we won the euthanasia by one vote. Uh, one vote, we stopped it from happening. And they're going to bring it straight up. As soon as we get back in, they're going to bring it again. Now, the problem with it is not just the fact that we don't want a culture of death. When you go to see your GP, you want positive. You, want to, you don't want him to say, look, we're going to have to put you down. Like that, that's not what you want to hear. You want to hear, you know, it's bad, but we, we believe we can heal you. You know, we believe we've got the technology. And if we haven't got technology, it's going to be rough. But, we, you know, we're going to see if we can get to the other side with this. And most of us will get through the other side with the doctor's help. And that's fantastic. But on, on the other side... Um, we, uh, I used my influence to call an elder abuse inquiry and people are stealing their parents' money. You know, they've got a sense of entitlement. They'll take 10 bucks the first time, 50 bucks the second time, next minute it's thousands, next minute it's tens of thousands, next minute they're trying to find a way to empower themselves to sign over the property. Can I say, what's the next step with euthanasia? Because if you could make that happen, there's no testimony against your situation. And of course, the other thing with euthanasia, um, um, uh, if I can say, is um, I think the Aboriginal culture don't like the idea of it because they're suspicious and you can understand their history. So their suspicion is, of course, um, the uh, um, disabled group are very suspicious too because they're saying, who are you to judge my value of life? And uh, so they're very suspicious of that too. So, so just to bring it back, so you can kill babies up to... Well, sorry. You can take the baby's life up to 39, 40 weeks. And actually, there's some, some talk to say that it should be over to, after you give birth. It, mm. 
Okay? So there's a, there's a saying in the Bible that says, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. No man knows it. Okay? So if you don't have these boundaries and you don't want Christians in politics, where do you think the values are going to come from? I had a guy on Facebook the other day because I've been put on a lot of Facebook advertising and trying to get re-elected. And they say, get out of politics. You should, shouldn't be there. Your religion, your values. And I'm thinking... And the next minute you'll read something in the paper about someone else that's got no values. And you go, well, what do you want, mate? Who do, who do you want in politics? You, want the guy, you don't want the guy with no values and you don't want the person with values. Yeah. Hey, th- that thing with, in terms of elder abuse, I mean, I've, watched, I've obviously been in many palliative care wards yeah. and, you know, been with people in their, in their last stages of life. Yeah. And if you talk to nurses in palliative care wards, they start going, ah, here's the extra family members coming that want in on the will. Mm. You know, and they, they, they literally know. They watch it and they go, oh, yeah, here comes that one. I bet you I know what's going on there. And the thing is, when you're in the legislative position, we would sit here on the outside and watching the media, which you never know what's actually true, um, and going, well, it's just a real simple issue of this. But there are, what you've explained there is there's a whole lot of mitigating issues that you mm. have to take into account when you're making legislation yeah. that is not just about you know, ending somebody's suffering as such. But the moment that you open the door to that, you open the door to a whole lot of other things yes. as well, like people saying, well, let's end their suffering yes. in brackets so I can take their money. Yeah. And, and can I say, um, as, as I've said on the record, is um, I'm a palliative care nurse. So that's what I did when I was a registered nurse. Uh, so I've, I've seen a lot of people pass away. But can I just say, the reason I don't like euthanasia can cut a lot of opportunities short for loved ones to make peace with their loved one because some people travel and they can't get there in time and if they're like this happened overseas that they switch it off and it's like it's too bad if you're not there whereas palliative care I think is uh while it's tough and I'm not saying you know um dying those last days it can be tough it can be tough but I don't think there's any better expression of a loved one's love than to see the loved one through to death at that moment like we normally owe those people a lot because it's normally our parents or um, our grandparents. Mm-hmm. And that is the time that you actually pay back mm-hmm. when they saw you at hospital or took you to the hospital because you fell out of a tree or, you know, your accident in the car or something else. You know, parents pay a lot of prices all the way. So palliative care is about the opportunity for us to pay back and be there. That, that, that You can't get anything from them, mm-hmm. OK? No, this is your time to put back. And it's the most, I believe, it's the, the greatest opportunity to have the most loving time with your loved one, never mind dealing with issues of conflict, uh, conflict resolution, forgiveness. That is the time you get it. And that's the time a lot of people need to be released. So I, I just totally agree with this thing, euthanasia. I can't believe it. Uh, and the second thing about that that you won't see in the media much, it is legal overseas. And and then it, it's gone from the person that's been in great pain to the person that might be in mental great pain or blind or deaf or even onto children in one country. So the point, point is, you might say, we agree with it. And I was saying this to Mark Latham the other day to the forum. You agree with it here. It'll be our legacy down here when it gets to kids or people that can't express or look like a burden on society because a lot of elderly think they're burden and they're, and they're lonely. That's more a reflection on us and our Christianity. They shouldn't be alone and they shouldn't be burdened, should they? And that's where we come in as a church to nurture that time. Yeah, wow. Scripture in schools, an issue Deb and I are particularly passionate about. We met um, and got together in the context of doing youth work in high schools. How in danger is Scripture in schools in New South Wales at the moment? 
Well, scripture in schools, I mean, I'm passionate about that. Uh, when I was a little kid, um, you know, my mum was divorced uh, from uh, an alcoholic, uh, violent man, uh, my biological father. And so when mum got remarried, she took us up to Wingham with my uh, father-to-be. And uh, all through school, I went through scripture with Reverend Onions. Reverend Onions never thought for one minute that 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 little kid down there would become the balance of power in New South Wales government at the time. He just put up with me and kept sowing Jesus. So I'm really passionate that, you know, kids in this day and age, the 24-7 cyberbullying, the peer pressure, uh, the pornography, the alcohol, the drugs, uh, you you know, you name it, they're under pressure. And so I think, um, you know, the, the New South Wales Teachers Federation wants to pull it out of school. There's a lot of lefties who want to pull it out of school. And I told you before, the reason they want to probably pull it out of school because it's in, inconvenient to what they want to push on our children, okay? So we're trying to push and press on our children godly values. They're trying to do that. So we've and they got want to, to bring in safe schools. Well, they tried to bring in... Well, they had safe schools. And once again, that's another issue is safe schools about gender fluidity. And look, I'm a nurse. There are such things as gender dysphoria, okay? But I can tell you this, it's not in 5% of our population, okay? And I've got no problem with the school dealing with a child that has that situation, being sensitive and meeting their needs and working with that. I have a big problem of enforcing adult model about sexualities on 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds. Now, at 18, we have a law that says you're an adult and you can work it out. But can I just tell you, psychologically, your brain is not built, uh, especially for us boys. <laughs> we have one, girls, we have one. Somewhere but our brain is not totally able to embrace even the concepts of sexuality until we're 24. And that's why we make great husbands after 25. <laughs> <laughs> I was 27 when we got married. Me too, mate. Yeah. I know, I know. But I wanted, I'm just trying to give some other guys the benefit of doubt here. <laughs> but, you know, they're trying to force uh, these concepts on these kids. You know, we're going to have a sexual stolen generation on our kids. Yes. They're trying to make them learn things that are just not right. Okay, and so I, you know, I understand that other thing, but we've got to be wise about this. Uh, it's our watch, your watch. If your parents and you're watching this happen in your school, please don't sit back. Stand up and say something, uh, or get your kid out of there. Your child, sorry, not kid. Get your child out of there because um, we did a massive inquiry on homeschooling, and a lot of parents are getting their kids. That was our work. You know that. You know that. That was all of Christian Democrats. First homeschooling inquiry in New South Wales. And can I say to you, uh, it was either in that one or the other inquiry I held on closure of small schools, which I'll just try and put these together so you understand because the two amazing stories, homeschooling was one, but the other one was uh, small schools where the government wanted to shut down this little school with six kids and one of the children in there had severe um, um, Down syndrome and multi-complex problems. But he was thriving in that situation. He was doing well, and they went to shut his school. So for two years, I called an inquiry and everything else, and two years later, we defeated the education minister, and he had to eat humble pie and come back and said, we, uh, look, we're going to leave that school open. Two years. For that little kid, that, his, that was his world. Chucking him up on a road with 40 more kids, and if he soiled himself in the class, could just undo his world for the rest of his life. 
and we fought that and we won that and we also helped the homeschoolers, God bless them. And uh, 25% of people in homeschooling are Christian, okay? Others do it for special needs or the speed of their child's learning. There's lots of reason why people do home ed. But one of the best things about that inquiry, they were all critics when I first started. All the people, I used my, actually, the clerk of the house who's the, the main guy of the whole thing. Uh, the, the clerk says to me one day, we're coming down the elevator, he says, Mr. Green, he says, we're all very curious. How did you get the numbers for the homeschooling inquiry? Because the Greens were against it. Okay, The Greens hated it, Labor hated it, Liberals hated it. And I said, let me just say I banked a few of my political currencies. <laughs> and uh, so the Greens backed us and they went after the Christians. The Greens went after the Christians in the uh, homeschooling inquiry, even though there was a lot of people in Byron that homeschooled. And they were really annoyed about that. So, um, so the main thing is, is that we've, We've now got all that happening with safe schools and they want to get scripture out of schools in New South Wales Teachers Federation. Not every teacher wants to get scripture out of schools. Okay, It's legally obliged to stay there for half an hour to an hour a week, legally at this point in time, and there's a push to get rid of it. Uh, and, of course, uh, SRE, um, SRE is all faiths. Okay. I was just thinking about last night, actually, because we've got this uh, Islamic thing, uh, all those people being shot in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, you know, isn't it ironic they're left saying all tolerant harmony and everything else, which is really nice, but they're trying to discriminate, literally, against anyone with a faith and get them out of our secular schools. But the school was started by the church in 1840. And, and one of the things in uh, Men in Clark's book, he says... We're going to raise these kids up. Yes, it's, uh, you know, it's not church because that church has handed it over to the state because the state took it on. But we're going to raise them up to be great Christian citizens, you know, in 1840, 1848. So scripture has come very close. Uh, we've been able to defend the enrolment form a couple of times to try and, um, you know, the, the uh, stats. But there's a push to get rid of it. And while you've got the balance of power, people don't want to push against you too hard because they might lose your favour. So we've banked a lot of our credibility. We don't play ransom politics, okay? So everyone says, why don't you just go and pull the big ransom lever and hold the government? Well, if I do that, I hurt a lot of uh, families and and the economy. I can say no to the government a lot, but it'll actually hurt a lot of people more than it'll actually help, okay? So we don't play ransom politics. So we've used really strong language, um, some other opportunities to generate a culture of, you mess with scripture, you're messing with your potential votes in the future. So we've been able to save it to date. And uh, I think it's important. Oh, sorry, mate. I want to say this because it's really important. Um, Secular ethics, education, and scripture are different. Okay? One is to train you on values and, and mind and how to process certain situations. The other one deals with sin. <laughs> sin and Jesus Christ. Or uh, sin, your spiritual health. So, you know, we're meant to be a holistic approach, but they don't want the spiritual now. The, the problem with that is this. So the real problem I have with this, now more than ever, our kids in schools need scripture. Yeah. And they need chaplains that can pray for them. You know, they won't pray for them. They won't let them pray for them. It's actually out of the rules. You're not allowed to pray. But you think of how many kids are in a dark world. Yeah. And, and I don't know about you, but when I get prayer, even if I don't like the person praying for me, or they're saying something really weird... You, you still get encouraged. Don't you think our kids need that more than ever? So taking, taking all this service away of spiritually the well-being of a person, body, mind, soul and spirit, 
Taking the spirit away is just crazy because you know what's going to happen is you leave a void. So these kids in the secular classes will have a void that has been created by God himself to fill him with. If you don't fill it with him, you'll fill it with other stuff. And it's the sort of stuff we do not want in our nation. Okay? So now more than ever need to fight for scripture. The second reason be is my son lost... He lost uh, two girls in year 11 that committed suicide. And, and suicide between young girls, uh, between the ages, uh, I think it's 15, 24, there's been a 70% increase over 10 years. That's shocking. And they're learning how to make it more final, which is disastrous. And we did, so I used my balance of power once again in another situation to call an inquiry on youth suicide. And you know why they commit suicide, a lot of them, the, the findings? They have no hope, no future. That's what they think. And I just, I get so annoying because Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, but to give you hope in the future. And guess what? I, I don't care if you hate Christianity as a political party. I, that, that, I, I understand it. if you make a personal choice to hate it, why would you remove it from our schools? So when my son has now lost two girls in his class and he goes to his bedroom that day or the next day and he shuts his door, I'm there as a parent going, will he be alive in the morning? You know? So I want the opportunity that these kids, when they think there's no hope and no future, which when you have secular ethics education, that's it. There's, there's nothing beyond that. When you have scripture... There's something beyond it. There's a God that's created you, knitted you in your mother's womb, knows how many hairs are on your head, has a plan, a hope and a future for your life. And not only that, he wishes to, you know, he gave you your gifts and talents and he's able to uh, evolve you further into all that he's creating you to be and you're going to have a journey of a lifetime. And the problem is that journey is going to have have its most, most toughest ride normally in teenager years. So why wouldn't we want the extra resource in our schools that's free and it's good for our spiritual health and good for our kids? How, why would you want to get rid of it at our schools? Simply because you've actually got a, 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 an ideology that is inconsistent to embrace faith. Yeah. And that helps them do anything they damn well want with our kids, if I can say that, sorry. But <laughs> they can do anything. If, if, well, well that's, you can't say that. <laughs> if they can remove... If they can remove those things from your children, they can do anything with them. Yeah. And the other point is a... <laughs> you love this? Yeah, I yeah, know. Oh the fifth point. <laughs> well, I've got so much to give you because I had eight years of this stuff, you know. But look, there's a quote from Frederick Douglass, who was a social reformer for the US, and it says, you know, it's better to build a strong child and have to heal a broken man. Yeah. And they so still good. have not... You... Yeah. Can yeah, I so go good. one more? Like... <laughs> What? No, seriously, scripture, scripture, what is scripture? It's introducing kids to the global citizen of all time. Better than Nelson Mandela, who's awesome. Better than Martin Luther King. This guy, Jesus, is global citizen of all time. And his message, how to treat women. Love your wife like I love the church, so much so that I'll lay my life down her. Look, for the, uh, look after the widows, look after the children. Okay, you know, men, like, my goodness, he tells us how to be men and good men. And, you know, we're losing two women a week in domestic violence, but we don't want scripture in our schools. You know, the best message for how we're going to treat our women and value our women is what Christ said. So why do you want that out of school? Inconvenient. It goes against the other messaging that actually aiming for, 
which is secularism and all that stuff and there's no God and you have no plan, you have no purpose, uh, come and try all this, it's really good for you, but you'll end up a broken person. You know, I love scripture because it impacted my life and I'm fighting for a tooth and nail to make sure we do what we can to make sure our kids have every opportunity to learn about a loving God like I did, that even on my worst days, I knew where to turn. The day that they don't know where to turn is going to be an absolute blot on our legacy. The church, okay. Long, long answer for a very little question. Good, was that a good answer? Yeah. Come on, that was awesome. <laughs> Far out. So, two things that I was hearing as you were talking there. One is yeah, the issues, which you know I think you're talking to the choir, I'm very, very much here. But yeah. as you're talking, I can actually feel the anointing coming off you as you are you know releasing that stuff, and and it's incredibly powerful. The other thing that's striking me is if you and Fred weren't in New South Wales Parliament, yeah. we would be in a very different landscape oh, legislatively absolutely. right now. Scripture in schools probably would be gone. Yeah. Late-term abortion probably would be in. Um, euthanasia probably would have passed and we'd be heading further down that line. Yeah. Um, so it, it strikes me that, and this is just two of you. Yeah, that's right. Among how many is in the New South Wales Upper House? Uh, 42. 42. So two One's out of 42. Are in there fighting for the stuff that you and I hold dear and hold as absolutely core values. Um, policy is made by those who show up. That's right. And, um, and if we're not there, I mean, seriously, don't. The church is sad that, that it, it'll have a politician walk through the door and say, I went to scripture. And then when the politician walks out the door, they go, They're a Christian. You know, and I don't try, everyone always asks me, Is that politician a Christian or that one? I don't try to give an answer on those. I just say, hey, just look at the fruits of the Spirit. Are they dividing, you know, the, the, the uh, fruits of Galatians 5.19 or the Galatians, uh, Galatians um, 5.22? You look at their fruits. Okay, when they present to you, they're really nice. Most politicians are nice. They're really good at what they do. Otherwise, you wouldn't elect them. Okay? But behind the scene, look at their track record. The church has got to start doing its homework. It's getting lazy. The church has been lazy for so long. Fred's been saying they're going to take marriage away for 30 years. I mean, he's been there for 38. He said it, and he said, you're a nutter. Fred, you're a nutter. It's never going to happen. <laughs> and they walked right up to the pulpit and took it. And you know what they're going to take next is our kids. Okay? And I'm not, I'm not like Fred. Fred's prophet. prophet. If you, you know what a prophet does? Prepares a way for the Lord. So he just says, this is what it is. Like it or lump it, that's what it is. And people get offended with Fred. I'm pastoral, so people tend to go, oh, he's a lot nicer the way he says stuff. <laughs> but um, but the, you know, team ministry, you need the prophet and you need the pastor. Yeah. And so I'm telling you, they're coming after our kids. And, and my job is to do what I can, legislative, not to do it. Now, so, I, should, I should answer something else there, just because you're probably all wondering how I make the difference between Liberal and Labor, OK? It's just simply this. It's not that they're too far different. But for the last eight years, when we've gone to Liberal Nationals about scripture, chaplaincy and those two particular, I've been able to get them on side, and that's important to me. It's not that they're much better than the other side, OK? Uh, the other side has given an undertaking about scripture, but the undertaking is that secular ethics, education, will, scripture will come to the same level, OK? They still believe in scripture, but it'll come to the same level, and they'll make that just as funded and, and whatever, the secular ethics. And there's a big difference. I keep saying to the guy, I said, I'm not disagreeable about sec secular ethics. Put it in the curriculum if you want. Although I'm getting a bit more um, sceptic that it's actually a lefty curriculum. 
uh, which is not going to help our kids long term. Safe school style secular, uh, secular Yeah, ethics. or the left sort of, yeah. the way that left process socialist issues, yeah. that, that's what it is. Um, mm. uh, which I'm not adverse to that, but you've got to have the balance. And as I said before, secular ethics doesn't deal with a person's spiritual side, sin nature, mm. and the things that Christ says we need to address if we're going to have a truly abundant life. Yeah. Okay, so there's an election this coming Saturday. Now, you're in the upper house. Now, remember, the upper house is not where you... You're not a local member well, of, of any area as such. New you, South Wales. You, you are. You, the upper house That's is you represent the people of... New South Wales. You represent the people. people of New South Wales. Now, the thing is, when we come to an election, most of us... and Maybe I'm talking about myself here. Most of us go in there thinking about who we're going to vote for in our seat yep. as our local member. That's the little small paper. And then we get the tablecloth, which is that massive one that has like 700 candidates and you've either got to put a one or you've got to number it from... What's the, one to like, 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Under the line. 15 at least at out least. of like 40 something. If you do less than 15, it's a donkey vote, it's basically. A, it's invalid. Yeah, it's invalid. Yeah, donkey votes when you go one, two, three, four down the page. Oh, so you need to learn politics, man. <laughs> so anyway, before I get stuck on e- that... Eeyore. 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 Eeyore says that. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> Boom, boom. So, boom, boom. Sorry, it's an old donkey joke. Yeah. So, um... It's a dad thing. <laughs> Finished? Yes. Yeah, okay, good. So... <laughs> no, 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 never. So, this election coming into the New South Wales Upper House, and here's the thing. So, you and Fred have held the balance of power in the New South Wales Upper House, which means no matter who's in government, which is the lower house... That's right you still have essentially had almost like a power of veto because legislation has to go through both Houses of Parliament. Now, this election, we've got two very high-profile people who are running for the New South Wales Upper House, being Mark Latham and David Lionhelm. So Mark Latham, One Nation, David Lionhelm, um, Liberal Democrats. How and the Australian Conservatives as well. And the Australian Conservatives are coming in as well. Corey Bernardi's team. Corey Bernardi's team. So what... Pressure does that put on you? You know, you're up for election um, next Saturday. What pressure does that put on you? What could that mean for you? It could knock me off the list. Uh, it, it's anticipated. Who likes politics? Yeah. Okay. Um, I was really. I was. Re- <laughs> it's good. But, but you've got to be finding it interesting, surely. Just what happens in the in the chamber. Uh, so it's predicted that. Labor will get eight seats in the upper house. Libs will probably get eight seats in the upper house. So that's 16. The Greens will go from three to two. So they'll give them two. So that's 18. And then Mark Latham's doing, getting so much airtime, uh, he could possibly get two seats, three seats. Uh, the shooters are going for one sheet and they got the first column. I'm really angry at God because I'm going... Because the first column on the... Why um... did you give it to my friends? You're meant to give it to your son. You know? yeah. But uh, anyway, so I, I figured his way is still better than my ways. Uh, but the shooters will get their seat, so that's 17. Uh, is that 16? Is that right? Uh, so, so sorry, that's 19. So if Lathan gets two, that's 21, and it's bye-bye Paul Green, uh, which personally doesn't bother me. I'll just next chapter with the Lord. But, but you just run for, for federal for senate. <laughs> opportunities arise. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go on. No, we want to get you elected no, on Saturday. Good, first things first, we really need the Christian Democrats there yeah. uh, with the balance of power. So, so what could happen post this election this Saturday? What could happen legislatively in New South Wales if the Christian Democrats aren't there? 
Uh, what well, could come in? What, how could the landscape well, change? Well, it depends who's got the balance of power. Now, Mark Latham is really good on religious freedom. Okay, He's not a Christian. And actually, part of my role uh, as being a Christian politician... Well, my wife says we're missionary in politics. If you don't like Christians in politics, I'm a missionary in politics. That seems People seem to be able to accept that a little bit better. So, uh, so we're praying for people, leading people. We, we pray for the Premier on occasions. You know, we, uh, People come to my... I've, I've had a Green person, uh, you know, politicians who absolutely just know God in my life, uh, had her brother was dying and, and she came in and they prayed for her, you know. Uh, so part of the trip is ministry, okay? So we're still minister, okay? So we're, uh, but we could, you know, we could just lose euthanasia right out, outright. I mean, it, we probably may lose it because um, if nationals will keep voting with Labor, we're pretty well stuffed on this stuff, you know, um, unless we keep pulling the ransom button. And that may have to happen this time to, to really knock over some of these things. Um, but if we're not there, you haven't got a, a party that is absolutely... Its charter is on the Bible. Uh, our membership is Christian. So it's not other things. It's not that we're trying to discriminate. That's just we know what we do and this is who we are. You will miss out on a Christian who has deep conviction about the things of God and bringing that Christian advocacy to legislation. Now, we've, um, we've, amended, uh, we've amended a lot of bills. I've spoken 430 30 times on, on legislation. Do you know we've amended uh, government legislation about... We've tried to amend it 160 times, and out of that we've been successful, I believe, about 159. Wow. <laughs> and two of those... Can I share two of those amendments, if I can? Because these are very important amendments. One of those amendments out of the 159... Oh, can I go through the whole 159? No, no. One of those... Two of those amendments... Because it's really important you hear this. Because people say, oh, what are you doing on anti-gambling or problem gambling? One of those amendments that we moved was uh, on the Barangaroo Casino Bill. And, uh, you know, they got a second licence. And, of course, we, we, vote, we voted against that. But they got it up because they had the numbers. But we put a little line in there saying it is illegal to have one poker machine in that casino. Now, if you understand the significance of that, it, it basically, most problem gamblers start off from poker machines. So in one foul swoop, we've at least done something to be prevention's better than cure with Barangaroo. And so the government came out lately with the opposition saying, no, we will not have poker machines in there. And the reason they can't, because CDP put it into law. Uh, and, and they thought they, the reason they, it was a bit of cheeky politics. If you don't like politics, it is a game of chess, okay? You've got to play the game or you may as well stay out. And the second one, which is really, really important to me because um, Fred wanted to move with the government on it. And of course they, uh, so for all night, we were trying to move legislation, victims' compensation scheme. There's 24,000 people on a waiting list who, you know, had, um, may have had their, uh, a loved one in the family murdered. Uh, they might have been sexually abused, might have had domestic violence, they might have had all these situations that you end up with being a victim, um, you know, in those worst terms. And so the government came in and they did lots of good things, which I haven't told you about the economics, but might later if I get a chance. They got these 24000 they said, what we can do, we can allocate $5,000 to each victim, okay, application that has qualified for it. That's half a billion dollars, and we'll be able to get them through to get some help, at least get some help sooner than later and get some counselling or whatever it needs. So they put this bill through. But in that bill, they wanted to just put um, this situation through that if you were sexually assaulted as a child and you wanted to get help, well, the that would expire uh, 10 years from the age of 18. 
So you only had until you're 28 to address being abused, sexually abused as a child. I couldn't go there. I just no said, no, 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 I'm not doing it. And 5 a.m. in the morning, we pass a, an amendment, another amendment. One, uh, this is the second amendment of our 159 amendments. And this amendment basically said, I don't care if you're 8, 28, 58 or 108, you will have a right to go and get help and get victims' compensation scheme, uh, get money to help you. And we put that in, only amendment approved for that whole bill at 5am in the morning. So there are just two amendments of 159, and I'm not telling you all the ones we moved on behalf of workers across New South Wales with the leasing of poles and wires and privatisation. We were able to get workers' entitlements secured, okay? And that was very biblical too. So I think of the leasing of poles and wires, 20, the union came to us, they didn't want it obviously, but we heard all the evidence and we thought it was a, a reasonable case. 29, uh, 28 out of 29 on their wish, wish list, we were able to get through for workers' protections. 28 out of 29. Wow. So we are, we're pushing the time clock because it's unlike you and me to talk oh, no, all night. I know. Talk all night. I, I know. Um, and you look interested or you're, you're tired. There are a few oh, people actually lying down unconscious. Yeah, but um, I, did, I did do a lunch the other day. At oh, a, here we go. See, I've opened him up again. No, no, I did a lunch the other day and it was with the, a seniors group and there must have been about 50 of them. I didn't take it personally, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, and it was after lunch, which was worse. Oh, that's the worst time for anyone. Oh, no, I was really encouraged. When I seen some eyes open, I was re- deeply encouraged that they were trying. <laughs> Okay, so I want you to tell us about the Modern Slavery Bill because awesome. in a moment, in a moment, yep. um, because oh, yeah. this is kind of one of your crowning achievements, which yeah. is quite, quite stunning. So just, it's not all glamour and media and privilege and, you know, free car rides or whatever. It's, they're, they're, no they're, free cars. No, I have I to they, drive everywhere. You have to, yeah, I know. Unless I get to the Senate, then they get a driver. Yeah, that's right, that's right. But there is a price to pay for all of this stuff too. Um, so please be praying for yeah, people absolutely. like Paul. Um, and Strength, Fred. wisdom, health and favour right now. Thanks, yeah. uh, if you could. Okay. Now, I'm going to step out of the way. Yep. Um, and then can you do the, like, 10-minute version? Yeah, do, know, the we're, we're, yeah, yeah do, do the video. Yeah, we're going to do the video. Can you do the... Yeah, no, I'll do this. I'll, no, I've, I've told a lot of stuff. So yeah, I okay, that's good. Right because um, the modern slavery bill is, like, your crowning kind of glory achievement, which is incredibly exciting. So I'd love you to... Tell us some more about that. I'll let you go with that. I'll come back at the end to wrap us up. We're going to watch a video. It's uh, three minutes, so don't be too worried. It doesn't go very long. Yeah, it's short. As a matter of fact, it's over. (laughs) I think any Christian has to wrestle with what it means to bring your faith to work. It doesn't matter whether you're a teacher, a nurse, a movie producer, or even a politician. If you follow Christ... You are a changed person. Navigating all of this in the workplace can be hard for anyone. When I worked as a registered nurse, one day I was called in to help with a medical procedure. It wasn't the first time I'd seen a baby's heartbeat on the monitor, but on this occasion, in a moment, that heartbeat was gone. That impacted me greatly. People assume now that I'm pro-life because I'm a Christian or because I'm a Christian Member of Parliament and that's what's made me pro-life. But I didn't come to faith until I was an adult. The truth is, it was that procedure that made my view before I came to faith. Reflecting back on it, I realised it was that moment 
that was pivotal to why I do what I do today. It's a conviction that has never wavered, and that memory has stayed with me every single time I have voted no to the laws that would make it easy to terminate the unborn. So becoming a voice for the unborn is another thing I do as a Christian in Parliament. Parliament is an unusual place to work. It's a privilege, but it's just another workplace like yours. Some of my colleagues share my views, some of them disagree respectfully. Others who do not appreciate my faith on occasion mock it. So I'm like any other Christian who tries to live their faith at the workplace. But what I love most about being a Christian MP in a political party that is proudly Christian is the amazing opportunities we have to do good. Introducing the Modern Slavery Act and seeing it pass in the Parliament unanimously was one of the proudest moments in my life. In education, we've also worked with both major parties to protect the special place of scripture in schools. And we've fought also to preserve our Christian heritage and continue to oppose the removal of significant Christian values and events like the opening Parliament each day with the Lord's Prayer. Now we're fighting to see religious freedoms upheld in our laws and in our courts. It is getting harder to be a Christian and to express our faith at work. But that's what gets me out of bed every morning. You know, we worship an awesome God who faced the ultimate persecution. Each day I get to come into this place with a Christian voice. I'm grateful for every day the Lord gives us where we're able to represent his people and represent this state in a way that is honouring to him and his people. Authorised by Craig Hall, Christian Democratic Party Parramatta. <laughs> We're in election time, so we've got to do those things. I'm always touched by that video every time. (laughs) How good is God? So I'm just going to take take you through this. Um, So we've had the balance of power for eight years and I've worked with all parties and we've taken the best of those parties and try and implement it. And, uh, you know, one of the things about New South Wales, um, when I first got in in 2011, it was the the, um, lowest economy in New South Wales, okay? Um, And uh, so when we come in, it's it's really important that, that you say, what's God got me here for? Okay, and I just want to quickly look. I won't read it all, but see Jeremiah 29, 4 to 7. I encourage you to read that tonight. But look what it just says down there, because I'm going to give you a 10-minute version of this presentation. What's really important, say, why is a Christian in politics? Well, it's the same thing as why God put his people from Jerusalem in Babylon. Okay, the loving God put his good people from Holy City into Babylon, Sin City. And then he gave them some commands really quickly. He told them... uh, uh, this is what the Lord Almighty God says to all those carried into I- I- exile from uh, Jer- Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat that, uh, what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. So they, they too will have many sons and daughters. Uh, increase, okay, not decrease. Increase there in number. Do not decrease. And then he says... Not only while you're there, I want you to do something else. I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of that city which I have carried you into. And he says, then he says, not only that, he says, pray for it. 
But don't you know where you put us? It's in the worst place, in the worst place, and they're all sinners, and it's all terrible, and it's going downhill. We've got safe schools, we've got, um, um, and I've got gambling issues, we've got marriage issues, we've got family. It's all going, and you put me right here in the middle of it? And he says, yes, I want you to pray for it. I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of that. Okay, so Isaiah 61, which virtually says, you know, go out there and look after this desperate and, and, and help them. And, you know, all the thing that we're meant to do uh, as the gospel. And then uh, I won't tell you about Susan's story just yet. Um, oh, the reason I actually I'll go, just go back to that. So in New South Wales, uh, so we've come in with the balance of power. New South Wales was the lowest economy and it's now the leading economy. We were in deficit. We're now in surplus. We, uh, if you sold everything in New South Wales in uh, 2011, it'd be, you'd give a cheque to the government for $137.5 billion when I first got elected. Now when I'm finished, in next Saturday, potentially, you would give them a cheque for $245 billion. So that means the CDP, the Christian Democratic Party, has been in reforms, which I told you about those amendments, that were reforms. We were smack bang in the middle of that to see the prosperity in New South Wales, okay, by $115 billion. So I've done my job. What did God tell us to do? Jump in there, make the difference. Pray, told you about praying for people and all sorts of stuff, but it's for us. But he says there... If it prospers, guess who else prospers? You. Amen? So that's just to show you that God does have it for us to be in there and make a change. Now, I've used all my power. Six and a half years, I realised that I'm coming to the end. What if I get to the end and I haven't done what I wanted? So I thought, I've got to, got to do something that I want to do. And so I was watching a movie. Uh, no one would have probably watched it here, but it was called Taken. And uh, what it did for me as a father, it scared the crazy out of me because I then saw that my daughter, that could be my daughter or my daughters. And so I thought that doesn't happen and, it, and I checked it out and it does. So then I thought, so then I thought, sorry? A certain sense of skills. <laughs> Very good, yes. I, I had a certain set of skills that I applied to this legislation. So... It's a line out of the movie. So I um, moved this, uh, I used that opportunity to run a human trafficking inquiry. That human trafficking inquiry came up with 34 recommendations. I sent those recommendations to what's called the Parliamentary Council, and then they established a bill called the Modern Slavery Bill. But most of you probably don't know about modern slavery, so let's rip through that. This is Susan, okay? She was brought from Africa by her employer, forced to work 18 hours uh, a day and sleep under a dining table, a room, a, a, sorry, dining room table with three dogs. She was given a uh, bag of rice to eat and uh, had her passport taken away. She was verbally abused and had no idea where she was living. For the promise of about $15.56 a month, uh, she had become one of New South Wales modern-day slaves. Okay, uh, she couldn't take the bin out because she'd be uh, exposed, so her boss did. And then next paragraph, it was fear for her safety that, and that of her three children in Africa that drove Susan to escape, she says. Finding an unlocked padlock on the back gate, she recalls running to a neighbour's house for help and being chased by an attack by her employer's friend. The police were called. Now, what she says is just profound because this is, this is the vulnerability of it. I don't deserve this. I didn't ask for this. I can't believe that somebody who knows me, somebody I thought I could rely on, somebody I was looking up to, 
can turn to take advantage of me and make me vulnerable in this way, in, uh, in a way that I wasn't expecting. And it goes there to say uh, she didn't pursue it with police, which is not an unusual pattern because they don't want to be uh, see their visa cut and a whole bunch of things, but that wasn't pursued. She was one of New South Wales' modern-day slaves. So what is modern-day slavery? Um, basically, it's power over another, exploitation, loss of freedom, okay? And there on the list, you'll see it. Uh, Harbouring, deceptive recruiting, debt bondage, forced marriage. Millions of women are forced to marry over, uh, over the globe. Uh, forced labour, uh, tra uh, trafficking, sex trafficking particularly in Asia, uh, servitude, which we've seen the two, two uh, cases in Canberra, underage child brides, okay, and then organ trafficking. Now, I'd love to talk about all this at length. Maybe another time we could. But they're all the sorts of industries. Everyone thought I was doing this uh, law because of sex work. I was doing it because we value people and they need not be exploited. Okay, uh, across the globe, there's 40 million people caught up in slavery, slavery-like practices or trafficking. 40 million. We thought we were dealing with it with William, William uh, Wilberforce. Uh, out, of that uh, out of that 40 million, 30 million are in Asia-Pacific region, and 70% of those are women. Actually, underage forced marriage is about 5.7 million girls a year. So, uh, A380, has anyone been in one of those planes? Yeah, well, you can fill that plane up, 16,838 uh, 16, plane loads with kids from trafficking and slavery across the earth right now. Okay, and of course, in, uh, in New South Wales, uh, you, you know, people are paying as little as $40 to watch, uh, watch child sexual abuse online from our Asia countries. Why? Because uh, most of the world, 800 million people are earning over less, uh, sorry, earning less than $2 a day and trying to lift themselves out of poverty and then the perpetrators see this and then they offer them a better job when it's not a better job or they offer, the in Asia area, they'll uh, offer the parents money to have the children for a while and then they'll take the children, they'll put them in a room and they'll film them and the Australian people are buying it. I mean, imagine, you know, I don't know how we can do this. I mean, these are someone's kids, children grandchildren. You know, how people can do, sit there and pay, do that. And it gets worse. I mean, that's not just sexual abuse. They can take it right to what's called snuff pornography, where they kill the child at the end. Okay? I'm sorry, that's as gross as it's going to get, okay? But that's how gross it is. The Bible says, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked, no man knows it. When you don't put frameworks like the modern slavery in, in place and the act... That stuff thrives. So we're going to try and hold those people accountable and say that is just enough. enough. Okay, so it's not accept, uh, an exception in uh, Australia. 15,000 is up from 4,000, 3,000, the sorts of industries that we looked at. So what does my modern slavery bill do? Uh, simply, it, it puts forward an anti-slavery commissioner, which we've now got. We've got Australia's first anti-slavery commission. She started in January. Uh, we've got established victim support schemes. So you heard me talk about the victim's compensation scheme. Uh, the bill sort of says if, you, if you're a perpetrator, we're going to get your assets, we're going to sell it, and we're going to put the money in there. And so when someone's been uh, a, a victim, can actually get some access to help and have their lives restored, which is awesome. Uh, the other thing is, is that the services, when those, uh, men, uh, many of them are women, not all the time, okay, but um, sometimes they come in with an empty tummy, terrible clothing, 
uh, it's feeling very unsafe. So the victim-centred support thing is, we're going to give you a safe place to be, we're going to feed you, we're going to dress you, and when you're ready, we're going to then ask you about the situation and find it and try and hold them uh, account. The third one is uh, increased penalties for offences. So the bill basically says that if you're earning over $50 million a year, that you actually uh, you need to put in a modern slavery report and say that you have checked your supply lines to see if it's got slavery stuff in it. If it has, it's not a crime to do that. We want you to fix it, okay? We want you to do something about it and we're going to help you do that if we can, okay? But if you think you're going to capitalise on other businesses, uh, by exploiting people to get ahead on profits, we're coming after you. Actually, it's a $1.1 million fine and up to two years in prison. And that's why my, my bills, this, uh, my act, it's now the Modern Slavery Act, it's the second in the world, okay, but it's the toughest in the world. And the uh, federal government wouldn't put these things in there, so theirs is quite weak. Uh, and, of course, you as taxpayer money, you don't want to be paying your taxpayer money for goods and services that have been uh, um, um, tinged with slavery, do you? So what my bill does, it actually makes the government just as responsibility, uh, responsible as anyone else to check their supply lines. And we've got some checks and balances in that that I won't have time to tell about. Um, two more. You know the uh, cybersex stuff? We basically go after those people in the bill. So I've made some laws saying, hey, if you're, hiding, uh, if you're in the office and your person beside you is watching this stuff and you're seeing that they've got it and you don't say anything about it, you can be held accountable. It's just like OH&S. If you leave a puddle on the floor and you know it and you walk past and don't worry about telling your colleague and they slip over, you're, you're accountable, you know. So what's the, what's the difference? None. Okay? So we're making sure that we're shutting down those sorts of avenues, never mind holding the perpetrator uh, accountable. The other one, uh, number point six, is um, the underage uh, girls being um, sent to uh, marry 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old men. We've criminalised it. So if parents think they're going to hand their little girl over, uh, we're going to take them to jail and send a very clear message in New South Wales, it's unacceptable and it's wrong. Yeah. We call it pedophilia. Yeah. Uh, so those whom, uh, you know, who will benefit from this act now, uh, those being sexually exploited, those forced into underage child marriage, those victims being cyber-trafficked via the internet, underpaid workers in terms of wage theft, those in debt bondage, persons facing organ trafficking issues, harvesting tourism. Really interesting one that we... You say, what's that in there? Well, if you've been to China, there's a lot of uh, the Falun Gong of having their organs ripped out without their permission and, and it's on the black market and you can get it. The reason I put this in as a Christian... Uh, we can't rule out that there are Christian pastors and, and people, Christians, are put in prison and had their organs ripped out as well. And I'm trying to get evidence that probably they are uh, in some of the worst cases, but not to the degree of Falun Gong, okay? But, um, so we're just saying if Australians are going to go on uh, harvest uh, organ tourism, um, tourism, where they go pay money and get an organ, uh, it's illegal if it's not a legit organ. Uh, of course, our, our hero here... Ending slavery is a choice. Uh, William Wilberforce says, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again you did not know. So, uh, my great... <laughs> so, I'm a softie. Um, my great pleasure was to have eight years where I could make a difference. Um, I won't die wondering on the 24th of March. We've done something absolutely significant for New South Wales and uh, human trafficking and slavery. God bless you all for having me. Group Q on the big tablecloth. Give us a one. Facebook my page. And please, if you can come out and help hand out, um, 
give all your names and numbers to Tim and he can get us and we'll find somewhere to help carry the load. It's a very big load. 10,000 polling booths across the state. We're not asking you to do miracles. We're just asking you to rebuild your wall like Nehemiah. God bless. Awesome. Um, can we just actually stand up and honour Paul and just give him a clap? Let's just honour him. Kel, can we get that one live as well? just want to honour the cost that you have paid and the sacrifices that you've made and uh, for the way that you spearheaded light into darkness. So we really honour you for that. Um, we really don't have much time, but I feel like we'd love to pray for him as a community. Can we get around him and just have maybe two people pray or three, and um, then we need our kids to come and just be... Why don't we just get the kids to come in and be in with us anyway, and then kids. we don't have to stress as much about the time. Just bring them in. Just go and tell the kids' leaders that the kids can just come in. And Paul's got six kids. <laughs> so love, while, we're, while we're waiting for them... So one of the things... You know, we're a church. We're not going to tell you how to vote. Mm. Um, what we do want to do, though, is make you aware of what's at stake right now so that whatever decision you make, it's an informed one. And one of the things I just beg of you is the, that great big massive ballot paper, don't think it's not as important. It is critically yeah. important. And if these guys weren't there in the last eight years, we would be in a very different landscape right now. So please pray before you vote and then vote well. Let's pray for you.